Welcome into Locked On Blackhawks for Monday, October 28th, 2019. This is Jay Zawoski. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, coming off a victory for the Blackhawks. Finally, they break the losing streak, defeating the LA Kings 5-1, to and we will spend most of the show talking about Sunday night's victory, a much-needed victory for the Blackhawks and the city of Chicago, quite frankly. First, want to tell you how to get in touch. Voicemail, 708-653-0572. It is Mailbag Monday, so you're going to hear some voicemails and get some emails. Those were sent to LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks. My personal account is at jayzawaski 670 And make sure you check out my other Blackhawks podcast, the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. That's at MadhousePod on Twitter. New episode will be coming out later today. We also did one uh, Friday afternoon, so lots of Madhouse podcasts out there for you as well. But let's get right to it. Again, we're going to do Mailbag Monday, but first we'll do the pluses and minuses of the game and just sort of break this one down. And I know they played Saturday afternoon against Carolina, and let's just get to this real quick and then move on and forget about it. The score looked really bad in that game, and there were some really, really bad moments in that game. But you saw a reasonable response from the other night's loss to the Flyers when all of us were up in arms and furious and annoyed and pissed, as we should have been, because it was a really bad effort. The game against Carolina, they lose 4 nothing, but it was just one of those games where nothing went right. And the signs were there. There were moments there where the Hawks looked really, really good, really, really positive, but just could not convert. And I think as that game went on, you saw them get more frustrated You saw them squeezing the sticks and just really kind of lose concentration. That's why I think Sunday's win is big for a lot of reasons. Number one, you got Dylan Strome and Alex Dabrinkit woken up again, which is huge. And you heard Nick Gismondi, they call him Gizmo on the broadcast, doing a really nice job in his first year with the Hawks, by the way, talked about how before the game he had been talking to Dylan Strome, and Strome said, it's on me to figure out, and I'm going to. That's good to hear because... I think from the time that him and Debrinkit were separated, a lot of people were sort of blaming Jeremy Cowton for that. And there's some logic to that. Like, hey, look, these guys are really good together. Why would you break them up? I sort of contend, look, if you're going to pay Dylan Strom all this money this summer and you think he's a number two center and you think he should be the kind of guy who justifies five or six million dollars, which is probably what he'll get, he's got to be able to adapt. He can't just play with one guy. That's not worth that money. You can find somebody else to do that, right? I wanted to see him respond and not have to just rely on playing with Alex Dabrinkit. That said, they're reunited in this game and absolutely terrific. They combined for six points. Strom had two goals and an assist. Dabrinkit had a goal and two assists, and they were just completely in sync tonight. Strom had an extra step into his game. You could see he was determined, with or without Dabrinkit, to work himself out of the slump he was in. And I think being put back on that line by Jeremy Cowden was a bit of a vote of confidence for Dylan Strom and, and Cowden sort of saying, look, I know you haven't been playing well. I think there's good hockey in you. So be my second line center. I'm going to put you back with your guy and try to get you going. And maybe that was a little boost Dylan Strom needed. I think this game in general too, the Hawks needed this where they actually get some puck luck where a great scoring chance goes in the net or doesn't just get blocked or knocked out of play or shot wide. 
They converted on their chances, and that was so, so important. And the other thing is, they were rewarded for their hard work. How about Alex Nylander's game last night? A goal, plus one, 13-20 of ice time, four shots on goal, three hits, two takeaways, and a block shot. That is literally doing it all. And the concerns we all had with Nylander going into the season and after that San Jose game where he played horribly and was scratched after it, they've all sort of been washed away, right? I tweeted sometime, I don't know if it was the first period or the second period Sunday night, has anyone on the ice been better than 92? And up to that point, the only logical argument would be Robin Leonard, who was outstanding again Sunday night. But this kid, Nylander, has come in, and you talk about the change of scenery. We saw it with Dylan Strom last year. On the Madhouse podcast, James Navo and I did the three stars of the week, which I forgot to do on this podcast last week. Whoops. Strom was a star of the week almost every week since he was acquired. The change of scenery helps these guys. Getting to a different situation helps these guys. And Alex Nylander's response has been really, really encouraging. You're seeing why he's a first-round pick. Another guy, we're starting to see why he was a first-round pick. Slater Cuckoo has been really good. Really good since Connor Murphy went down. Sunday night, he was a plus four. Two assists, three shot attempts, and four hits. He plays with more of an edge than I expected him to play with, too. I couldn't really get a feel for him last season. By the way, 18-29 of ice time Sunday night. It seemed like he was just sort of trying to figure himself out, work work his way into the system, work his way onto the team. He was acquired, not late, but, you know, on the fly. And the Hawks were reestablishing their system on the fly. So it was hard to get a read. He was fine, but I really like what I've seen from Slater Cuckoo. How do you take him out? And that gets me to the biggest thing from Sunday night's game. Jeremy Cowlton put the marbles on the table and scratched Brent Seabrook. This was my number one question about Jeremy Cowlton coming into this year. Would he, when it came time, have the nerve, have the huevos to bench a core member of this team? And he did it Sunday night with Brent Seabrook. And if I was going to pick who should be scratched, maybe it wouldn't have been Seabrook. I probably would have gone with Gustafson. But I think there's a bit, a little bit to be said for the message it sends by benching Brent Seabrook. We all see Brent Seabrook, you know, three times a week for three hours at a time. And that's it. Brent Seabrook is the unquestioned leader of this team. He's the guy who is the heart and soul of the team in the locker room. He's the vocal leader. Yes, Jonathan Taves is a captain, and he leads by example, and he's vocal too. But Brent Seabrook is the stir, <laughs> is the straw that stirs the drink. I cannot go a show without butchering a cliche. It's like a tradition. I should get it sponsored. Um, maybe like a butcher shop or something would sponsor that. Jay Butcher's a cliche brought to you by Jewel Butchers. I don't know. Anyway, um, the fact that Cowton had the nerve to – bench Brent Seabrook that says a lot to me and that to me from sends a message from him to the team a a lot of us started to question has this team quit on Jeremy Cowton Jeremy Cowton said if you're going to quit on me you're going to sit I'm not going to give in I'm not going to give in to what you say and change what I believe in this is my system and I'm keeping it that way and if you don't like it you can sit
Time for the pluses and minuses of the game. Hawks win 5-1, so there will not be too many minuses. This is Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it started with the pluses. Alex Nylander, an assist, plus one, 13-20 of ice time, four shots on goal, three hits, two takeaways, and a block shot. Like I said earlier, a tremendous performance from a young player who is really making strides and making impressions in his short time with the Blackhawks here. He has really grown from game to game to game. He's getting better and better. There's not been that game where you said, eh, that was a bit of a step back. I feel like every game he's either been as good or better than the night before. That is really, really encouraging. Next up on the pluses, Dylan Strome and Alex Dabrinkit reunited. I'm not going to say and it feels so good. I'm not going to do that. Six points combined plus six combined. Eight shot attempts combined with six of those on goal. Two goals and an assist for Strome. One goal and two assists for Dabrinkit. And you saw towards the end of the game Sunday night, they had a two-on-one. Dabrinkit desperately trying to get his buddy the hat trick and just they could not complete the play. But an outstanding game for Dylan Strome and Alex Dabrinkit. Welcome back, Dylan Strome. The Blackhawks really needed you, and hopefully this version of Dylan Strome is back to stay because he was absolutely terrific Sunday night. Next plus, Robin Leonard again with a tremendous performance, stopping 38 of 39 shots on goal. He has been a tremendous pickup, better than I expected him to be. I was sort of expecting a bit of a step back, you know, as the year went on, but he was tremendous. My next plus goes to Kirby Doc. He only played 10 minutes and 20 seconds. That's a team low ice time for the Blackhawks on Sunday night, but registered two shots on goal and had several shifts where we saw him dominate with the puck. There was one chance early where he batted a puck out of the air and almost navigated a prime scoring chance right in front, but couldn't keep his feet. Uh, he had a Hosa-esque shift in the second period, I believe it was. Doc, again, like Nylander, maybe not as much as Nylander, but like Nylander, has looked better every game. He's getting more comfortable, and I really like that line with him and Saad and Shaw. I think that makes a lot of sense. I might want to get him a more skilled right winger. Maybe you put him between Kubalik and and Saad and see how that goes because Kubalik, again, just continues to drive possession and be a a tremendous asset for the Blackhawks. I think eventually we're going to see that. The next plus goes to Jeremy Cowlton for doing it and having the nerve to bench a core member of this team and Brent Seabrook. He's a healthy scratch. And when the Hawks take the ice again on Thursday, how do you justify changing the lineup from Sunday night? I don't think you can. I think you go with it again. Speaking of that, Dennis Gilbert, who I didn't notice very much Sunday night, he had 1647 of ice time. I truly expected that when I looked at the game log and looked at the time on ice, that his numbers would be very low. He played 1647, eight hits, and two shot blocks. If you don't notice a defenseman that young and that inexperienced, what was this, his third NHL game? And he played almost 17 minutes? That's a really good sign. Calvin DeHaan, who the broadcast isolated on Sunday night, I appreciated that because he deserves it. 2057, six hits, two block shots. How about Duncan Keith had a tremendous game? 24 minutes and 13 seconds, 
The numbers don't jump off the sheet, but how many good scoring chances did Duncan Keith break up? Four? Five? Really solid bounce-back game from Duncan Keith Sunday night. And I mentioned it earlier, Slater Cuckoo, a plus four with two assists, three shot attempts, and four hits. Now, because we have to, the minuses. My first minus goes to the Chicago Bears for almost ruining my weekend. My second minus goes to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I'm not a big smack talker because I sort of believe in sports karma. I talked a lot of smack this week about Michigan, and then Notre Dame goes and gets embarrassed. So those are my two minuses. The Hawks win 5-1. to one. No. We've had enough negative. We've had enough minuses lately. Let's keep it positive. Time for the Monday mailbag here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. This show is flying by. It's way longer than I expected it to be already, so I'm going to try to whip through these as fast as I can. First question, and again, these have come in over the course of the week. This was sent to LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. We've got several voicemails as well, 708-653-0572. If you don't want to dial the phone, pick up your iPhone, pick up your Android, turn on that voice memos app, record it, and email it to LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. It works just as well. All right, Jeff Martins from Bendigo, Bendigo, Australia. We have a lot of international listeners on this podcast. Really cool. He says, my question is regarding the center position. We have three guys who could be top two centers in Taves, Strom, and Doc. In the long term, how do we manage this? Does someone get traded, demoted to the third line, or do we continue to use one as a winger? Also, we have a couple of young wingers with nice offensive potential in Kubelik and Nylander, but it looks like one of them will have to play the fourth line position due to depth above him. Which of the two would you play in the fourth line and why? Also, can you see any way in which both of them can play on the third line or higher? These are really good questions. And what's great about the center thing is even after you sign Dylan Strom this summer, and he's probably not going to get more than a brink hit, which was, I think, off the top of my head, 6.4. So if Strom gets somewhere, I would think Strom would be somewhere between like 5'8 and 6. I know it's a very narrow gap, <laughs> but somewhere right in there. Doc is still on his rookie deal. And... You can have. There's nothing wrong with having three really good centers. The team, when the Blackhawks were winning championships, they had three, four centers of supreme quality. The LA Kings, when they were winning Stanley Cups, had really good centers. You can never have too many good centers. And, um, you know, I think that Doc has shown the ability to play wing. But I just keep him at center. Just keep him at center. Just think those 2013 Blackhawks had Taves. They had Kruger. They had Hanzus. They had Boland. And look, that that team, which was historically great, those, if Doc works out, those, that's a better, Doc Stroman Taves is better than that roster, right? The 2015 Blackhawks. Obviously had Taves. They had Brad Richards, Antoine Vermette. See, this is what you're talking about. You can never have too much center depth. So I have no problem with that. I also don't think that, regarding your other question, I don't think that Nylander or Kublik are are absolutely going to be, you know, banished to the to the bottom line. I don't think that's true. I think 
There's a lot of guys like Shaw you can move. There, there's, Look, you can never have too much talent, especially inexpensive talent. You've got it in Kubelik. You've got it in Nylander. You've got it in Doc. It's a good thing, and hopefully they all play well enough where the Hawks can roll four really solid lines. But uh, let's cross that bridge when we get there. But really good question. Next question, next question comes from Nick. He says, I haven't looked at the time on ice stats for the Vegas game, but I, but I noticed that for most of the third period against Vegas, Nylander was not playing at all except for the power play, and Patrick Kane was double shifting with the fourth line. I understand Cowton kind of goes to double shifting Kane when he needs to get something going, but I guess I just didn't really understand the reasoning here when you're protecting the lead. If anything, you would double shift a more defensive forward like Kemp or Saad in this situation, right? Uh, good question. My criticism of the game against Vegas was they were trying to win that game one nothing. They were sitting back way too much, way too much for my tastes. And when you do that, even when your defense is playing well, and they've played okay lately, the D's been not terrible. Even when you're playing well, you're just playing on your heels. You're not attacking. You're not pushing the puck forward, and that's what cost them in that Vegas game. So the fact that Kane was playing more in the third was sort of the only thing that Cowton was doing that was sort of affecting the offense in a positive way. They spent a lot of that third period on their heels playing defense and trying to win one nothing, and that is never a formula for success. Football is a more popular sport, and I hate to mix sports metaphors, but it's like the prevent defense. If you play it long enough, the team you're playing against is going to keep moving the ball, keep moving the ball. The Hawks p- played that hockey version of the prevent in the third, and it cost them, and it bit them, and then they lose in a shootout, and boom, it's over. So disappointing to see them finish the game that way, but I think Nylander, if he keeps playing the way he's been playing, he'll be finding himself on the ice. He won't be. He will not allow himself to be benched. All right, next up, let's go to one of the voicemails. Hi, Jay. This is Alexi from London in the UK. My thoughts on the Blackhawks this season is that they're definitely better than uh, what the standings show. And I do think that uh, I am going to remain positive uh, as far as this season goes. Um, I do think that the team is getting a lot of uh, bad luck at the moment. There's a lot of bad bounces. Uh, the other team's goaltenders are standing on their head a lot of the time. Um a lot of own goals this season, which is quite weird as well. Do you think that the Blackhawks problems are all of their own making, or do you think there's some elements of bad luck involved in their early season struggles? Thank you for the great voicemail, Alexi. Uh, I do think there's some truth in what you're saying, and it can be really hard to keep a level head when night after night after night, it's disappointing loss after disappointing loss after disappointing loss. If we want to look at what's happened this season on a whole, I think you can throw away the game against Philly. Total dud, horrible effort, and you might not be so well. I'm not dismissing it, but if you look at the picture of things without that game in it, the game against Vegas was solid. The game against Washington was solid, and yeah, they were both losses. The game against Carolina was a 4 nothing loss. It didn't feel that far apart. It really, not to me, and I think they actually played a pretty solid road game despite losing again 4 nothing. I think two of those goals Crawford would have liked back, right, even though he was screened a little bit, but on the whole, they've been better than the results they've been getting. I, I do believe that. I am an internal optimist. I've been called a homer before. I'll be called a homer again. I can live with it, but I do think there's some truth to the fact that, yeah, 
the Blackhawks are probably playing a little better than the results are getting, and I'm glad they were able to get the results Sunday night that they did. Hey, Jay, great show. This is Frank in North Central Arkansas. I just saw Vegas tie the game up. And are the Hawks about the worst team in the NHL at getting the puck out of their own zone? They have struggled all night. Needless to say, the Vegas is is great stick-handling team. But are the Hawks, their inability to get it out of the zone is totally frustrating. Frank, thank you for the voicemail. And I mentioned a couple shows ago, um, it does seem like the Hawks never have the puck. There's games that go by where you feel like they're defending the entire time. And it's been better over the last little bit. But I, I agree with that. That is that is one of their big problems is getting the puck out of the zone has been their biggest issue. And that's why you've heard Jeremy Cowden talk about it. Guys get stuck on the ice for long shifts. Too many turnovers. Too many unforced errors. When they're trying to go along the board or trying to chip it out, it almost seem, it seems like it gets intercepted more often than it does for other teams. I do think that's true. It's sort of hard to track. There's not a real stat that tells you, like, you know, crappy clear. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really exist. But anecdotally, yes, I, I do feel like that's been an issue. And when the Blackhawks were great, what made them great was their ability to get the puck and move it out of the zone with a clean pass and begin the rush the other way. Jalmerson could do it. Keith obviously could do it. Seabrook obviously could do it. Oduya could do it. Brian Campbell could do it. All these defensemen the Blackhawks had over the years, over the dynasty, were great at moving the puck, getting the puck, and moving it out of the zone. That has been a big struggle for the Blackhawks so far. And that's why when the draft came, I was sort of hoping the Hawks would take Bowen Byram. And I love what they've done. I think Kirby Doc's been really, really good. And look, Doc's in the NHL and Byram's in junior. So... So far, the Hawks are winning, right? No, it's not true. But a puck-moving defenseman is hard to find. And I think Bowen Byram will prove out to be one of those. Again, I like the Doc pick. He's been really good. But that's something, until Adam Boquist is here, the Blackhawks lack. Final email of the show comes from Daniel Rispoli. Hope I said that right, Daniel. I think I did. Do we really believe Cowleton is the right guy for this team? I'm all for giving a youth coach a chance, but he seems stubborn on his approach Seems the players are having a hard time adjusting to the defensive scheme, just like a Taves. And as for the line combos, should we not be putting our best guys together to give us the best chance at winning? Taves and Kane together, and Strom and Cat together to get these guys going. Sprinkle in Shaw and Doc or anyone else that we can help keep the third line intact. Daniel, you are a smart man, an prescient man, because that's exactly what happened. Sunday night, and the Blackhawks won the game 5-1. to one. And while I was critical of Doc for not... I'm sorry. While I was critical of Strom for not being able to play well enough without the ideal line mate, yes, if you've got something that works, they should be together more often than not. Strom and Debrinkett work. Kane and Taves don't work as well as you think they do. If you really look at the numbers of those two together, they're not as dynamic at least over recent years, as they've been in the past. So I'm not as married to that one. But hey, you're trying to get things going? Yes. Do what works. And that's what he did. I think maybe he was trying to outsmart himself a little bit to try to get things going. Sunday night, he regrouped and said, I'm going to put my best guys with their best line mates, and we're going to see what happens, and look what happened. They win 5-1. to one. All's right with the world. And now we have to wait till Thursday for another hockey game, but that's fine. I'll be here all week on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Want to thank everybody for sending in their emails, 
for sending in their voicemails. Again, 708-653-0572 or LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. We'll do your emails next Monday. Until Tuesday, this has been Locked On Blackhawks. I'm Jay Zawoski. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you Tuesday morning.